And with the Prime Minister's approval, I would like to begin uh, the motion to begin the podcast. And welcome to this hot Godzilla summer. That's right, five movies, ten weeks, the Summer of Godzilla supplemental reading series through zero credits. My name, of course, is uh, Sub director of the committee in charge of podcasts and leader of the joint committee investigating ongoing trends in podcasting john and uh, i am a likewise a junior juvenile assistant aide to the minister's aide of prime directive aides uh henry and this week we're talking about 2016's Shin Godzilla, directed by Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi. Uh, I'm so pumped to talk about this movie, Henry. That's right. It's all been leading up to this moment. All of the legendary Godzilla f- movies that we've watched leading to this, what has been claimed as the best Godzilla movie ever goddamn made. I'm not sure who's saying that. I may have said that at some point. Uh, in a less guarded moment. Uh, However, this, of course, is the stretch goal to Hot Godzilla Summer. And uh, just to give everyone a little bit of insight, if this is your first zero-credit supplement to reading, uh, these are created with the intention uh, that you have either seen the thing we are talking about in its entirety or you just don't care. So we will be talking about Shin Godzilla with full spoilers, uh, no particular care uh, as to whether or not our listeners have not seen the movie. That's right. I highly suggest that before we move on any further with the proceedings of this supplemental reading that everyone look over the minutes, that is to say, watch the movie of Shin Godzilla. And uh, number one, you'll get all the jokes we've been doing. And number two, you'll have a deeper appreciation of the deep dive we're about to take into this seminal hit, this critically acclaimed masterpiece this john's favorite movie uh certainly not my favorite movie but certainly critically acclaimed uh in japan it won it was nominated for like 11 of the equivalent of a japanese oscar i think it won seven or nine or something so definitely a a critically acclaimed movie in its home now i we joked about this being a stretch goal uh of us completing Hot Godzilla Summer, something that, of course, was mediated by the release of uh, the upcoming release of Godzilla vs. Kong. However, I don't know that there's a better time to have watched Shin Godzilla than after having watched all of the legendary Monster vs. Godzilla movies. Yeah, uh, certainly if I would watch this movie in a vacuum, I might not have as much of a take on the film than if I just watched the Americanized take on Godzilla for four movies. I think that if you're someone who, and I won't say that either of us fall into this camp, but if you're someone who feels, uh, I always feel weird about saying the word antidote, but if you're someone who feels poisoned perhaps by the legendary monster verse, uh, adaptations, of uh, of Godzilla by Gareth Edwards and you know the rest <laughs> whoever they are Michael Doherty Michael Doherty I feel like Shin Godzilla uh, if you find yourself in that camp is a welcome antidote because it is a very very different movie than what we've spent the last nine weeks watching uh, very much so it, it is very much a uh, a Japanese film which is great because it was produced by japan 
Um, but it, it is a wholly different take on Godzilla and the human side of Godzilla stories, not being wrapped up in the dangers, but being wrapped up and finding an equitable solution to protect the people of Japan. Uh, one thing that I would like to kind of get out of the way is this is a movie that I've actually seen a, a few times, three or four times, uh, which actually, unfortunately, puts it in the same camp as all the other Godzilla movies we've been talking about, which inexplicably I saw all of those multiple times as well. Uh, but I would be interested, since a lot of people seem to come away from first viewings of Shin Godzilla with a very... Uh, it's a surprising movie to people who like Godzilla and don't necessarily know what to expect. So I'd just kind of like to hear, like, I don't know, what were impressions that you had when you watched it? What was your Shin Godzilla experience like? I feel like the Shin Godzilla experience <laughs> is something that everyone who watches it gets. So I had a shared experience with uh, my neighbor and, of course, my wife, Jamie. And... um the first 17 minutes of this film can only be described as an increasing amount of very bureaucratic meetings describing what is happening with no real visuals of the thing. You get clips, you get tidbits, you get cell phone footage and people running and screaming, and then you get told what that is in a meeting. And as this entered minute 17, the smile on my face was huge because I thought, this is brilliant. I've never seen this before in my life. Now, I was surrounded by my neighbor, Sam, and, and uh, my wife, Jamie, who were like, is, are we watching the right film? <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this all it is? <laughs> and uh, they made up, <laughs> Jamie made a point. She's like, bring up a time marker right now. And I did, and it was about 50 minutes in. She's like, we're 50 minutes in, and we're just getting the first action, which is a helicopter about to shoot Godzilla. And then the, the, the scene kept going for another minute, and they ended up not shooting at Godzilla. And she was like, what is happening? What is this movie? And I was like, this is great. This is like Japanese bureaucracy to the, the, the extreme degree. It, it, it's the real monster here is is all the procedure, not the actual monster. I I love to hear that because I mean, obviously, this movie is a hard pill to swallow, and I think that what a lot of people assume Shin Godzilla is pretty famous for its specifically its Godzilla design by Hideaki Anno, but more importantly, uh, Shinji Higuchi. Uh, is really different. And I think a yeah. lot of people assume that the largest departure that this movie is going to have from other Godzilla movies is in Godzilla itself. But the and fact that, that this movie begins with an interminable slog yeah. that is happening on top of a very interesting and pretty chilling. Like, I think that it's so interesting in the first 15 or, or 17 minutes of this movie that the only glimpses you get of the actual disaster that are happening are like videos on Nico Duga with like yeah. text flying all over them and weird cell phone videos. The only, the only way that you're interacting with what's happening in the world is the same way that the people who are locked in the Japanese cabinet are having interactions with it which is right. there's just video that they're pulling up on the internet yeah and i i really like that because it makes it feel more found footage you know like a cloverfield only instead of just remaining in the found footage and having that spectacle be the the entire vehicle for the movie 
the fact that we're spending more time with these cabinet meetings and uh, meetings adjourning to meet again in five minutes in a different room. And then those meetings adjourn in five minutes to, to <laughs> we keep getting and progressively larger and larger rooms with more people until like the, the entire table is taken up. And then all of the seats around the t- like that visual, just like building an importance until you're, you're talking directly to the prime minister that lets you know that this isn't your 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 father's Godzilla film. This is something completely and utterly different, and it seems to be in conversation with something that, uh, you know, something more than just a giant monster. It, it feels more like the response to a slow moving natural disaster than it does, say, like an atomic bomb. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to kind of peel back some layers on on the genesis of why this movie was made obviously we spent a lot of time when we talked about 2014's uh remake of godzilla uh talking about how it was odd to have a godzilla movie that didn't directly address a problem that existed in japan or the world uh and this movie does directly address that because specifically uh hideaki ano has said that this movie is like a, a reinterpretation uh, or an adaptation of the events after the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant failure and the Tohoku earthquakes. Right. Like both of those disasters combined killed 19,000 Japanese citizens. Right. No. And, and I, I feel like the first, the first form that we see of Godzilla is very endemic of that, that, that goal or that, that motivation Absolutely. The first Godzilla is a tsunami. It, it, yes. The first Godzilla is a, a mindless, brainless tsunami that just keeps going forward, keep oozing forward. Um, and it's also kind of like a giant elephant's foot, if you're familiar with uh, radioactive disasters. I can't, that? Say, I can't say that I'm overly familiar with an elephant's foot. I, I don't know the exact specifics of what the material is, but it... it slowly oozes out and kind of solidifies. And when it solidified the first time it happened, it looked like an elephant's foot. And that's why they call it that. But the slowly oozing forward Godzilla, it has qualities of both a tsunami and that sort of uh, nuclear waste uh, disaster sort of thing. And so that's good. I don't know what I, my point was. <laughs> I think there's a lot going on with, with Godzilla's transformations uh, throughout this movie, which I think is maybe the most interesting thing about the, the creature of Godzilla is that it changes. Right. And I, it, I think you, you nailed it. Like the first Godzilla we see is a, is a dumb event. Like no one knows what it's doing or what it wants. And it, it just kind of creeps and lurches and and like upsets waterways which by the way we might not get ton of opportunities to talk about this but this movie uses uh, practical effects and miniatures similar to how something like an actual Godzilla movie would do uh to great effect there's this uh scene where this Godzilla is like displacing a waterway and like kicking up a bunch of boats and cars and piers which is accomplished with a combination of CG and miniatures and it looks terrifying it looks like footage yeah. from an actual tsunami no absolutely yeah the boats being tossed aside like so many paper cranes yeah it, it, it's supposed to evoke like a like awesome unstoppable force uh 
And uh, the fact that Godzilla's eyes, and while it's doing it, are just these big dead fish kind of googly eyes that have drawn some 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 criticism from a Western audience. I, but I think it nails the fact that it's like there's no malice behind this. There's it's like it's just happening. <laughs> I mean, you know, speaking of like criticism of a Western audience, this movie, generally speaking, for most Western audiences, they're not huge fans because Mm -hmm. I I think that uh, obviously this is true in Japan, that Godzilla is now like a positive cultural force and that he is viewed as like humanity or specifically Japan's savior. And I think that in America, we maybe have that perception more so than Japan would have. And to see this movie, uh, which which recast Godzilla once again as the villain, which is something he hasn't been since 1954, uh, and in addition to that, being like a truly disturbing creature achieved through, by the way, all versions of Godzilla were like motion captured by a human actor to like preserve that's really kind cool. of semi-human person in a monster suit feeling. Yeah. Which yeah. is why all the versions of Godzilla move in such a freaky way that you don't like. But well, but it, to it, see that is unpalatable, I think, to a lot of Western audiences. Right. And it's very it's it is kind of reminiscent of the old man in a suit monster days. Like the like especially the gate and the walk. It, it, I had flashbacks to kind of early Godzilla's when Godzilla had legs. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, the, 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 this focus, this drawn out focus, the first 20 minutes are not even on Godzilla attacking, but on the response and, and on just the, the thing of this bureaucracy that these elected officials have to, to go through and, uh, like we're being worried about like, well, we don't want to appear weak in front of this natural disaster. So we're going to say, we're, you know, we're going to go out on television and in my 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 prime minister outfit, I'm going to make the statement that it, we don't believe it can come on land. And then that's immediately interrupted with someone telling them it's on land. It's so just, good. What? It's so good. <laughs> it's so good because they're always wrong. Absolutely. And uh, um, and buried in this, not buried. It's right in your face. <laughs> going along with this is is the the younger generation cutting away the red tape and finding a solution, which I, I feel is, you know, let's, let's progress evolution. That's not staying stagnant and, and doing things by tradition it is kind of a Japanese theme that pops up time and time again. The idea that stagnation is leads to just the end of all things and progressing and evolving is the right way to go. Um, and you see that through our protagonist, whose name I did not pick up. It is uh, Rondo Yaguchi. Y- yeah. Hold on. I'm trying to get better with my pronunciations. Yagachi. Rondo Yagachi? Yagachi? Yag- Yagachi. Yagachi? Yeah. Yeah. I, I swallowed the end <laughs> syllable. <laughs> um, yeah. It, following him, his story of just trying to find a solution the best solution possible is what keeps you going through the movie with the backdrop being a dead fish brain Godzilla (laughs) wreaking havoc. Yeah. I mean, this movie isn't so keen on, on subtext. I think everything this movie really has to say, it really kind of lays out there because the, the thing that really ends up killing 
more people is bureaucratic incompetence. And I, I think that like in the three principal characters in uh, in Yagachi, uh, you have Akasaka, who is the like the liaison character between the old guard and the the like new hope for Japan. Which, is that by glasses? the way, yes, that is glasses guy okay. Akasaka. It's it's this interesting interplay because uh, baked in with like the old bureaucrats is also careerism. Yeah. Uh, the idea that these people would sacrifice people's lives to maintain these uh, pretty pristine, tidy careers that they probably spent generations uh, cultivating within their families. Uh, so you have the bureaucracy and careerism and careerism works through Akasaka, but he ends up being uh, generally a, a positive force, even if he sides with the with the careerist interests. And then you have the far extreme, which is Kayako and Patterson, the the U.S. Japanese envoy, who's like ah, half yes. or a quarter Japanese, super brash, does not go <laughs> in for honorifics. A, weirdly enough, a lot of reviews that I read called her like bratty or really hated her character. I thought her character was great. I, I didn't I didn't perceive anything negative about her character other than what was explicitly coded into the film. The, the only thing about her character that was a little suspect for me is that she wanted to be president by the time she's 40 <laughs> yeah that was a it's little like, silly you're you're an envoy or you're an um what's the right word embassy person diplomat you're a diplomat to a foreign nation which will look good on a resume but it doesn't exactly scream like president material it might scream like maybe eventually one day senator yeah, I, I see senator material. I think to be president early, you have to be like a very effective governor, maybe. Right, but maybe like, a governor. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, maybe even a very effective, like, mayor. Uh, or, or a very effective, I don't know. It, it's tough to say. Senator is a great place to start. But being a special envoy to Japan is just not sexy enough to make you president. I'm sorry. No. I, I mean... Honestly, maybe if she can up, play up her role in stopping. Well, then again, this is America, so never mind. Even the even if she played up her role in stopping this this monster disaster in Japan, that's not the American people. America's not going to care about that. I mean, this movie pretty explicitly states that that's the case too, right? Uh, but I, I I don't know. I like Kayako's character a lot. Um, I thought it was interesting and it's easy to dock a Japanese movie points for this, especially when its audience is Japanese. But like, we supposed to believe that character like converses in English? Probably not. Uh, but huge kudos, uh, to the actor whose name I forget who portrays her, uh, for, for doing her absolute best with English. English is a hard language. Oh, she sounded great in the dub. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. If you watched the dub, you did not get to hear people no. switching in and out of pretty bad, but very good, considering these people aren't native English speakers and we're probably just speaking it for the film. English. That was my favorite part. It was very good. It's funny because you mentioned she doesn't go for honorifics. She has one line about like, I'm not really good at the honorifics, so can I just call you blank? Um, but before that point in this dubbed movie, no one had used honorifics. Oh, incredible. Uh, <laughs> you know, the sub has a problem with that because sometimes you can tell that people are using pretty strict honorifics when addressing the prime minister. And right. those don't get those really don't get picked up 
in the sub. Oh. This is a tough movie That's to translate. It's it's a it's a deeply deeply Japanese and deeply political movie. So it's kind of tough language wise to capture all the things this movie is doing. Which, by the way, maybe like the funniest Godzilla movie. I think that this movie is hilarious. You gotta walk me through this because I, I, it was funny in like a glib, like, oh man, politicians are the worst kind of way. But like, well, what's where is that? Is that the humor we're talking about? I think a lot of its humor comes from the politicians are the worst thing. So like Yagachi over time, his title that shows up. Uh, over his name gets bigger and bigger and bigger as he takes on more responsibilities and other people's titles are like constantly shifting. Uh, but I think that the like general interplay with careerism uh, and, and bureaucracy within the Japanese government tends to be really funny. Uh, however, yeah, the last quarter of this movie is not very funny at all. No. Uh, and it is super poignant. So we'll probably talk about it later. Uh, uh, the, so the funniest line in this movie by far um, it, it comes from the interim prime minister who has just finished a meeting and he's got his lunch, pres- presumably his lunch in front of him. And he says, my noodles, they've gone cold. They told me this job would be hard. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> I, I think that a lot of the humor in this movie comes from people totally misunderstanding the gravity of the situation that they're in pretty yeah. much at all times and from being uh, bumbling politicians. But I think in some ways... Uh, jumping back to the character of Yagachi, like you mentioned, this movie like closes a 60 year loop that started, I think with 1954, uh, 1954's Godzilla. And that in 1954's Godzilla, this is what one to two years after the end of the U S occupation of Japan, they are just now able to have conversations about what happened during the war. Like, they can have press about the war, and they can make movies and music and entertainment about the war, and Godzilla is one of those first ones. Akira Kurosawa uh, had a movie uh, detailing the horrors of that war. And then you jump forward 60 years, and we now have a young Japan. We have a a Japan that that is proud of itself, that is rebuilt, that has resources. And also this took place uh, during uh, Prime Minister Shinjo Abe, uh, who is doing a lot with like the Japanese self-defense force. But like this is a competent Japan and a self-confident Japan, but only in the eyes of the young. In in the eyes of the people who have been careerist politicians for so long, they still see Japan as weak and subservient and a a country that only exists on condition by the United States. And of course, the movie explicitly says these things. This is yeah. News to I, I was about yeah. There are moments in when they want to mobilize the military, and where they have to consult, like justify, even just at authorizing the use of force, which is real interesting um, because it, it's like we can't be we can't show aggression because of the treaties we signed, and it's like you see that struggling with the American handcuffs we slapped on them after world war two about even mobilizing their military. when it's clear, like there's a monster on your doorstep. (laughs) Yeah. It's fascinating because they're showing actual text from the post-war agreement about the Japanese self-defense force, about the conditions under which to mobilize, because it does literally say that they can only mobilize it when they are attacked by a, by a nation or country. Oh, right. And, And like, well, this isn't, 
this isn't an attack. <laughs> this isn't an attack, so we don't really know. I, I think that the interplay with the Japanese self-defense forces is really interesting because they do show to be... I I don't know how much conversation this really bears having, but this movie, we don't see a lot of this in America, especially from other countries, but this movie's very nationalistic. It's very proud of the Japanese Defense Force. Oh, yeah. I, I think did. this movie is proud of Japan. I really, and like you can feel it, and I felt it, in the scene where they mobilize the Japanese Defense Force and all those tanks come rolling out. And like they, they scramble the, the jets and the helicopters and all that. I was like, oh my God, this is great. They're actually, they're going to fight back with like an actual force. This isn't going to be a legendary Godzilla movie from Warner Brothers where the, it's just like a battle cruiser and a couple of jets. <laughs> yeah, it's, they actually mobilize, they do a good job of representing the mobilization of the actual force at their disposal with the Japanese self-defense force and the, the unique weapons they have at their disposal. They portray them as being competent. They portray them as being something which you never get in American movies, which is organized yeah. and uh, adhering to rules. For some reason, whenever we portray a military, even in a positive light, they're pretty disorganized and also they disobey rules constantly. America, you gotta love it. What? A scene that I particularly enjoyed because you would never see it in America in an American movie, and, and this plays in a little bit with the, bureau- the bureaucracy and just the uh, the hesitation and trepidation for using these weapons on Japanese soil. But the prime minister authorizes the use of all force, and he gives out that order. And the helicopters they 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 check in before they use that force. Like, you know, are you? Sh- like, do we have permissions? Like, yes, you have permission. All right. And they fire the guns. Like, guns don't have effect. Permission to use the missiles. And it goes up the chain all the way to the prime minister. And the prime minister's like, yes, use the missiles. Even though he already previously gave the all, you know, <laughs> you have permission to use anything. But it's just like this hesitation. Like, are we actually going to use the missiles? Like, I know you said we could, but I'm just checking in. You would never see that in an, an American movie. It would just be like they would shoot everything out the out the get go. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the thing about American movies is that we assume that all measures are always already authorized. Exactly. Like, in in a movie like this, you would be reasonably hesitant to use heat seeking missiles in a city, <laughs> right? Uh, but we always assume in, in movies with the American military that they can use whatever, whenever. They don't follow any fucking rules. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. My, my wife was very annoyed with the checking in for using the weapons and to which I responded like, you know, guns are illegal in Japan, right? Like th- these people do train with the weaponry, but they don't use it that often. <laughs> yeah. And I think frustration is a is a fair response. And I think maybe a response that's. That's deserved. I mean, the first time you see the uh, the attack helicopter is about to launch an attack on Godzilla, it's uh, they have to turn back because there are civilians, which I think is a really interesting choice to lead us right up until the point where we think we're going to get a traditional uh, conflict between Godzilla and the armed forces. And then that's walked back uh, out of fear uh, of appearing uh, callous, of of ruining the relationship you have with other developed nations. It's really interesting yeah, and frustrating. Well, and also, I think it's walked back because 
I think at the end of the day, while steeped in bureaucracy, I think the prime minister really does care about his people. And, and like when the when he learns there's civilians in the area, it's like it's not safe to fire these weapons. So that that's why he walks it back. Yeah, I, I think that he is a very human person, though a bureaucrat. And I think when faced with the potential of of uh, submitting an order that would kill innocent people, he just can't do it, which is totally understandable. Right. Uh, not a thing you'd see in not, a lot of American yeah. movies. Um, I, I want to say for the record, I think that this prime minister did everything in his power sort of correctly, you, you know, as much he was as human as a politician could be, like even giving out extra information because he, feel, he felt like it would it would stop the panic and make people feel better. His intentions were always in the right place. And I, I really respected he wanted to stay before the Americans did their bombing run. He's like, I I can't leave at a time like this. If people want to believe in the Japanese government, I got to stay behind and, and oversee this. I can't flee just because my life is in danger. But he's convinced by the people around him. And where does that get him? Blown up by a Godzilla laser. <laughs> Yes, it it lands him exactly where he shouldn't be, which is somehow in the uh, in the very small attack radius of Godzilla's new atomic breath. Uh, one of the last things that I'll say, kind of in the human analysis of individual characters, is I think you're totally right. Uh, the prime minister, I think, in both cases, is portrayed as someone who cannot make these decisions because he is just one person. He is trusted with too much. He is fallible. He wasn't necessarily brought into power on a platform that he could make decisions like this. Uh, and the big villain of this movie is uh, hierarchicalism. Like the idea that you could have an, an overly hierarchical structure for any government or organization, which is why when Yagichi creates his special task force, the first thing he says is it's a flat organization. Yeah, Like everyone's word means exactly the same as everyone else's. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people say like bureaucracy is the is the villain of this movie, but I think it's actually like overly hierarchical structures. Right. Yeah. The the dub had a, a very unique way of putting it where he was like, yeah, it's flat, but also like we need everyone who knows anything. We need the freaks and the outcasts of <laughs> That's, politics. The exact same thing happened in the, okay. in the sub. And Jamie was like, you want the freaks? I'm like, well, yeah, be, like the monotone girl, you know, who, who knew the most. No one listens to her because she's monotone and she she speaks out of turn. Like she, she earns that look of disgust from that other politician just because she speaks without being acknowledged. And it's like, well, yeah, we need those people because while they're not playing the games, they know the most stuff. Yeah, we need the people who above all want to do good work. I like Scarfman. He's one of my favorites. Uh, Scarfman is great. So much mopping of his brow. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to mop the brow. He's thinking hard over there. He's thinking hard. He's a scientist. Uh, so we spend a lot of time talking about the people, which, to be honest, this movie is kind of about. So it's about the people for sure. I think we can be forgiven for that. But let's talk about that Zilla. This Godzilla. This Zilla. Oh, my Zilla. <laughs> Oh my God, Becky! Look at that Zilla. So we've we've covered the dead fish Godzilla a bit, but uh, is there anything else you want to say about the first form that we see? 
I have so much to say about Godzilla. I would like to jump back to something I was trying to do earlier, though. Okay. You were watching it in mixed company. What was your reaction to, and maybe by extension, the people you were with, what was their reaction to seeing probably the most jarring thing about this movie, which is weird dead-eyed fish Godzilla? Right. So the first thing you see of this is just the the pool of red in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it, it, like it starts moving and... and eventually gets on surface and it's just dragging itself forward. And my thought in my head was like, Oh my gosh, this isn't about Godzilla attacking. This is about Godzilla coming on shore to die. And then doing so like releasing so much radiation, it just kills everybody. I thought Godzilla was literally dying. (laughs) You know, I, uh, were that the case for this movie, I would not necessarily be surprised if Hideaki Anno made that movie. Yeah. Um, now, for the general reaction of the room, uh, my wife took one look at him and said, no, got up and left <laughs> the room to do other things. And she's like, tell me when it's not off screen. Um, Sam just kept reveling in the googly eyes and the grossness. And it was like, she, he doesn't have arms. Why Why doesn't he have arms? <laughs> I think as far as reactions go, Sam is probably the correct one. I think you should enjoy Squishy Godzilla for what he is. I, I liked Squishy Godzilla because there was a, I, I will back up, there was a good 10 minutes of Squishy Godzilla where we were like, that's not Godzilla. That's not Godzilla. This is the thing Godzilla is going to fight. And like, it kind of, I can kind of see like, Angira in it a little bit you know it's it, it's on all four legs and stuff but then like there was a great cross shot of its, its of the back dorsal spikes and I was like guys that is Godzilla <laughs> yeah it, it is absolutely Godzilla I think the the thing that's cool that it keeps throughout is those weird heat sink fins yeah. in the back yes um but okay there's the also other... there's also reason to say that that was maybe inspired by you know who Minya is Minya from what it's the son of Godzilla who showed up in a couple of Japanese PSAs he was basically like a regular guy in a small quote unquote cute Godzilla costume who had huge unblinking eyes ah uh, yes I believe the West call him Godzuki ah uh, yes there is there's reason to believe that this was at least partially inspired by the existence of Godzuki. Uh, so is this, 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 the, the Godzilla wiki refers to this as the second form of Godzilla. <laughs> uh, I guess first form of Godzilla is, uh, the one that lives in the ocean that we never see. I, yeah, I, I suppose so. Um, I didn't, I, I wanted to do some research, but as I was reading, I was like, these thoughts are no longer my own. Now they're, they're supplied by people who read deeper into this and, I didn't want to taint my takes, you know? I gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what the first form is, but they refer to this as the second. And you're saying this form was might have been inspired by Godzilla's son? Uh, it's conjecture. that It's the idea that people generally found it's constantly, like, okay. open, round eyes to be concerning. So maybe that's, I don't know. It's conjecture. Yeah. Um, I, I was a fan of it because... Uh, one of the coolest things you can do with something that's been around for 60 years is uh, change it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it. This is without a doubt like the bravest thing to do to Godzilla, uh, which is make a version of Godzilla that is weird, weak, soft, and somehow much scarier than Godzilla is typically. This is a worse Godzilla in every way, would lose in a fight to any good Godzilla, but is still scarier than the great majority of versions of Godzilla. I appreciate the lack of intelligence in its eyes. Um, Because Godzilla, like... The beady eyes of Godzilla has always like they're too intelligent. It's it's like watching something with malice in its eyes when when it's done correctly. Um, but it it is a refreshing thing. Like this is just a dumb idiot creature. <laughs> and I I think that there's a lot to maybe be said about how much one could read into malice existing in this interpretation of Godzilla. Uh, because of course the the reason this Godzilla exists is for. Uh, nuclear waste being dumped off the coast of Japan, which is heavily implied that the U S did that by the way. Oh, okay. I just think it's heavily implied because once they start talking about the U S sends an envoy, the U S says, if you go public with this, we're not going to assist you in a a unilateral effort against Godzilla. I think it's pretty heavily implied that the, the toxic waste is America's fault, but that's kind of a footnote, I guess. It's also heavily implied that the, the, the professor who goes missing at the beginning of the film is the reason why Godzilla comes to shore. Uh, I don't think that that's extensively explored that Goromaki, which I think is his name. Yeah. uh, Was out on a pleasure craft. I don't think we explore when and how he could have made Godzilla happen. Maybe I missed that in the viewings of the, the movie, but it is implied that somehow he is responsible for Godzilla coming ashore and is maybe by extension uh, enacting his wrath on Japan right? Uh, or, or any country that uses nuclear weapons or nuclear energy. Uh, so I don't know. So like this Goromaki character, he, he figured out basically everything about Godzilla, uh, put it all in this, this cryptographic sort of data table and then kind of just left it, on his pleasure craft with a note that says, you know, what it's, it's used in a, in a very specific way that the phrase uh, it is do as you will do as you will. Yeah. And then he disappears. And then the next thing that happens is Godzilla comes ashore. It's like, if he knew how Godzilla worked and he disappeared and then Godzilla comes, I think he like he fused with Godzilla somehow. I mean, it's it's possible. I don't know. Maybe he jumped in the water and and became Godzilla. It's uh, it's tough to say. I think the I think the do as you will is a really interesting thing because it up it includes up to uh, destroying humanity with nuclear weapons to stop Godzilla. Yeah, um, no, it, it's at the same. It, it's it is a challenge, and it's also like a little freeing, uh, like at the same time. And it means different things to the different people who who read the message, like the the young guns, the young gun scientists are like, do as you will. It's like without going through all the bureaucracy and then reinforcing what they've been doing the entire time. Whereas all the old people are like, do as you will. It's like, oh, we got to take it out. (laughs) Yeah, do as you will means engage the U.S. and then start uh, start the procedures to drop a bomb on Tokyo, which. Yeah, is a, is a whole thing. But I'm glad to hear of the response to Squishy Godzilla. 
Uh, Godzilla right. then grows arms, and to be honest with you, I don't remember armed squishy Godzilla doing much other than crashing into a building. Armed squishy Godzilla falls over and then crawls back into the sea. Oh, yes, and then uh, comes back later in the, I guess, fourth yes. version of Godzilla, which is uh, by far, in my opinion, the most terrifying and aesthetically striking version of Godzilla I have ever seen. Yes. Uh, I have a question because I can't quite remember. I know Godzilla has always had what can be described as kind of a long tail. Yes. Has Godzilla's tail ever been so long it dwarfs Godzilla? (laughs) So this was a a specific choice for this Godzilla, I believe, to... Hideaki Anno, if you see like the uh, the artwork for the upcoming Shin Ultraman, for some reason he seems to like to make characters have parts of their proportions off in a way that's unsettling. Uh, the the tail on this Godzilla is it's uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm like doing American Kennel Club commentary, but the tail on this Godzilla is really its distinguishing feature. Uh, its tail is massive, as big as Godzilla. Yeah, uh, both in length, but then also the tip is a little bulbous. And according to the uh, the, the the kind people on the Godzilla wiki, uh, they've pointed out that it's actually a second head. Oh, I did not know that. It has like a, a a mouth, which is why it can later on it does the the it also gets atomic breath, but it, it's like the the remnants of a, a prestigial head. I I should read that Godzilla wiki because I hadn't caught that before. I, yeah, I, I like I like uh, I like head tail. Uh, <laughs> I think it's wonderful when you've introduced the anatomy of, of your monster such that when we have an over the shoulder shot and the tail comes into the frame, there's a moment like, Oh, is there another monster here? <laughs> is there a whole different thing happening? Is there a second Godzilla on screen? No, it's just his tail, which is the entire length of his body and some. Yeah. It's uh, the, the tails are real thing. I think something interesting about the design of this Godzilla is that it actually is, in a lot of ways, a similar redesign as what happened in 2014's Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards. Uh, the head is smaller, the teeth are crooked, the eyes are beady, the arms are shorter, the hips are wider, the tail is longer. But every single one of those choices in this case makes it really disturbing looking, <laughs> rather than maybe a little silly or benign because the the way that they expanded Godzilla's hips in this case are weird and bulbous looking. And his tail is twice as long as his body and his crooked teeth look bad. And instead of his beady eyes looking like silly, they look totally emotionless. Yeah. This this is definitely a crueler version of Godzilla uh, than what we've seen before, especially with the, the, uh, the, the crooked teeth. Like something about the emotionless eyes and the crooked teeth just makes it look like a villain, which it is. Oh, and, and this Godzilla is so slow, which oh, is great. It, it's great that this Godzilla is in no hurry. I don't think we talked about this in the summer of Godzilla before, but a sizable critique I have 
of uh of new godzilla in the legendary monster verse is very ambulatory also emotes a lot moves around a lot this godzilla is like a moving nuclear reactor like it's it's not in any hurry to get anywhere yeah one of my favorite tidbits about the movie is eventually like at points so like at this current pace he'll reach tokyo in three hours and it's like oh we've got some time yeah he he's traveling at the he's traveling slower than traffic does yeah it's like oh well let's formulate a plan because you know we've evacuated that section of the city already and uh, i guess we've got time to to formulate i mean they even set up like multi-staged attacks against godzilla where essentially he doesn't move yeah well, uh, just just looming in the background for real for real um and of course oh oh canonically canonically sorry this is the largest godzilla that's ever been on screen really yeah canonically that's good to hear yeah the tallest and the girthiest and of course the (laughs) tailiest tallest girthiest tailiest can't be beat cannot be beat and uh is it this form that we see the newest adaptation to godzilla's arsenal Yes, it, it is in this form, or I don't know, maybe these nerds have said there's a fifth form of Godzilla. No, the, the fifth form is reserved solely for something that we'll talk about last. Oh, yes, great. Uh, the very end of the movie. Yeah. Um. So this Godzilla, I think that if we're going to tie it into our conversation of previous Godzilla films, uh, particularly in the, in the uh, legendary monster verse, uh, we gave them kudos for creating a, a unique... Uh, like markable, uh, remarkable, I guess, uh, addition to Godzilla's arsenal, which is the Wom Wom Tale. Yeah, the Wom Wom Tale, huge ad, very, very good, very ominous, very well utilized throughout the Legendary series. But now we've got a new contender, and now we've got a new contender, which is Godzilla's new breath weapon. Which I'll be honest with you, when I first saw this movie, uh, is the reason I loved this movie. I love so deeply this interpretation of Godzilla's atomic breath. It's perfect. It, it's horrifying. It's a thing that evolves while he's using it, and every oh, yeah. version of it is so bad. Oh, it is! It is like absolutely horrifying from the first moments when you just see the superheated heat come out. You're like, okay, well, that's pretty bad. But then he floods the city yeah you you see his it, it's so cool because i i don't know I, I love the weird redness that this godzilla has yeah uh, he's glowing red and, and patches all over his body it just indicates the the immense heat that's happening within the right. fission reactor that is godzilla's body and then when he unleashes uh his version of atomic breath the first version is like the car starting up yeah it is it's like it, exhaust it is just weird flames and black smoke that engulf like dozens of blocks of the city. Oh, Jamie was like, so all of those people who were like on the ground or underground are dead. They're which, boiled. They when, cannot be alive. When he did that, he did that to uh, Shiro Sagisu uh, piano song that I think was in Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, but like when this Godzilla starts doing things to kill thousands of people it's met with extreme melancholy similar to in 1954's godzilla 
uh, Ishiro Honda, when Godzilla attacks, there's sparse piano music playing. This is this is not a bombastic thing to be celebrated. We're watching uh, a horrifying event, and then uh, that weird, exhausty, inefficient fire breath turns into this super cool, super focused blue purple beam. I oh, love yeah. the beam. Yeah, we go from a very wide ranging fire that literally floods the city to a pencil thin or thick beam that is just devastating and literally cuts the city in half and just sounds horrible and piercing and then of course uh we get the the truest and newest addition to the godzilla arsenal which is the fin beams the fin beams yeah for the longest time godzilla has had a major weakness and that its back, while covered in spikes, offers no other defensive capabilities. So if you, you can drop a bomb on Godzilla if Godzilla's not looking up. No more. <laughs> can you do that? <laughs> no more. Uh, I mean, we've seen it. It's hard for Godzilla to look up. I don't know that I've ever seen it happen. Uh, well, King of the Monsters. Oh, yeah, he... You know, Godzilla does a lot of looking, and yeah, he looks straight up actually quite a lot. Actually, yeah. on the poster of King of the Monsters, he looks right. straight up. Yeah. Maybe Japanese Godzilla has a, a harder time, but now it, it doesn't need to worry about that because it can fire the same purple focused atomic beams from its, from its back spikes, uh, but oddly enough, it cannot do both at the same time. Yeah, it seems to uh, to only be able to do one of the two. Of course, from the tail as well later in the film. Yes, the tail also develops the ability to breathe atomic breath because that's what it needed. That's what Godzilla <laughs> needed. Another goddamn mouth. It, it's really interesting to watch this movie uh, and, and be uh, confronted with a Godzilla where every time it does something new, you're like, please don't. I don't yeah. want to see this thing do more right. awful stuff. This this movie is described as a horror movie, which from the first hour and a half, you're kind of like, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. But then the last quarter of this movie is just like, no, it's pure horror. It is not maybe horrific in like a horror movie, like, you know, close quarters with a killer. But the things that you're watching are hor- horrific and they keep getting worse. Yeah, and, and at that point, a quarter into the movie, the only respite you can imagine these people having from Godzilla is to revisit perfectly uh, the inciting incident that created the Godzilla franchise in the first place, which is a nuclear weapon being dropped on a major Japanese city, in this case, Tokyo. Right, exactly. But the The only solution that you can think of in that moment is the most horrible thing you can imagine. And I, I love how much they wrestle with it to the point where, like, you know, <laughs> the Americans are like, we're getting out of here because we're dropping the bomb. That is happening. Like, it is a done deal. And the people staying behind are like, we've got a solution with this coagulate kind of thing that we're, we've been cooking up. And uh, we've got enough of it. We just need, you know, this plan. We're going to organize this plan together to, to get it together. Um. And they're like, yeah, sure. You, you, we'll delay by 15 days. And uh, they they implement their plan on day 14. Like, if it failed, they were going to get bombed with the rest of Tokyo. I mean, they. Uh, I think that you could make some pretty 
uh, credible uh, comparisons to what you end up seeing at the end of this movie to things like the response to the Fukushima Daiichi uh, nuclear power plant failure and the Tohoku earthquakes, and that there are a bunch of people who are just civil servants who truly want to save their city, uh, potentially, and in some cases, indeed, sacrificing their lives to avoid a worse outcome. I don't know. I found the the deployment of the coagulant plan uh, really impactful. Like, it really... It's really emotional to me to see, like, civil servants giving their lives to keep their country from having to do the same thing it did 60 years ago, which I don't know if this came up in the dub, but in the sub, it keeps going back to scrap and build. I don't... Mm. I don't know if that came up at all. Scrap and build? Scrap and build, it, it's an economic concept that you can sell or gut a company and then like rebuild it to be better than it was before. But they're using it uh, in the context of what had to happen after Japan to Japan after the bombs fell. The idea that they had to take a ruined country and then build it up to a state of greatness, which it uh, arguably achieved in the 70s and is definitely achieved by now and they struggled with the idea that if they bombed tokyo they would have to do the same thing they would have to start from from square one they would be another subservient country to the united states which just enforced its will on japan again and they would have to send generations uh through the same traumatic scrap and build process that they had to do after world war ii yeah yeah none of that came up in the dub that's a shame. Uh, the, the sub, by the way, if you, I mean, obviously you've watched the movie already if you're listening to this, but if you haven't, the sub is definitely the way to go. Yeah, no, the dub was bad. Um, at one point when they introduced the military branch of the Japanese government, one of them, one of the, the generals straight up has a bad Texas accent. Oh no. <laughs> and I mean, bad. Hilarious. Bad. I'm going to go down to Whataburger. My name's Hiroshi. <laughs> what do you mean we're gonna have to evacuate tokyo <laughs> that's very funny maybe i should watch the dub now i didn't even uh, know that was an option it was on it was on funimation i don't know if it's on the blu-ray or whatever um yeah yeah you got the you got the secret content and then we learned the real danger of godzilla which isn't the atomic fire breath or the dorsal fin lasers or just the sheer radiation that it gives off. Because the entire time that it's on land, it's giving off more and more radiation. No. John, all of that is, is, is baby time frolics compared to what they find when they discover a single scale of Godzilla left on a building. This thing can replicate itself asexually. Yes, this is, uh, I'd like to believe, a nod to 1997's Godzilla uh, in which famously Godzilla could uh, could rec- could uh, procreate asexually, uh, but yes, uh, this Godzilla can in fact like root itself in place and then like r- reproduce via like roots and spores. Yeah, no good. So it could, it could threaten the entire planet if they didn't coagulate its blood and make it freeze in place and ultimately turn into a statue of itself. It could have it could have covered the entire world in Godzilla creatures. Well, I mean, I, I think that's the 
that's kind of the inciting incident. I keep saying inciting incident. It's the inciting event that causes the U.S. to choose to drop the bomb on Tokyo is uh, something that's happening in the background of this movie is these constant calculations economically of certain responses to Godzilla. Uh, so, for instance, they say like, hey, there's a higher chance that Godzilla is going to make landfall here, but we need to invest in the plan for the one that's less likely to have Godzilla because that is a more economically viable area. Yeah. So in the, you know, 30% chance that Godzilla shows up there, we really want to beef that up, even though these other people are probably going to die. And then uh, they say after they discover that Godzilla can uh, procreate asexually that the U S has determined that there's a 13% chance that Godzilla might go to the United States, at which point uh, they say that they should drop the bomb on Godzilla. Oh, wow. Again, I don't think the dub has any of that. It is uh, it is pretty exceptional. The characterization of the United States in this movie as a uh, massive bully, which uh, is accurate. Yeah. (laughs) Fair. To reiterate uh, you. If we we do not see this in a lot of movies, obviously living in America as we do. Uh, but we do not see in a lot of movies the characterization of America as uh, the, the real strong-handed bully on the world scale that we tend to be. Particularly uh, to countries who are our allies like Japan. Because members of the bureaucratic hierarchical old guard in this movie, uh, for the most part like blankly accept directives from the United States, unless urged by the younger generation that they don't necessarily need to do this. Of course, uh, this being the movie as patriotic as it is, I don't know when these things happened or not, but around the time this movie came out, either before or after uh, Shinzo Abe, I think I said his name wrong earlier, but Shinzo Abe like approved the deployment of Japanese troops on foreign soil, huge step for Japan uh, militarily. So Japan is making a lot of strides in terms of its ability to assert itself on a global stage. But when this movie came out, uh, it was assumed that politicians would just kind of have to do whatever the U.S. says. So the movie is brave in its characterization of Japan as being able to say no to the U.S. Yeah. I want to say America has walked back some of most of the stricter policies from post-World War II um, restoration period. I forget what they call it. Uh, but the, the, the strictness of the treaty has been walked back a little bit. And so, the, yeah, you can have a military presence again. We're still going to keep our base. But basically, you rule you and we're going to stay out of you, out of, out of your affairs for the most part. But that might have been a little bit after this movie was made and came out. Well, it's tough to say because there's this actual, uh, not to get into it too much from my very limited understanding, but there's like a cultural block that keeps particularly the Japanese self-defense force from acting on its own accord, uh, even outside of existing agreements with the United States, like the the Japanese self-defense force, or at least the people in charge of it. Uh, still to some degree don't want it to display like aggression or proactivity for fear of alienating the United States. And that might be some amount of like, uh, like survivors trauma over what Japan had to go through from the United States for 30 something years. I don't know. Well, that, and you know, there's a long history of military forces rising up and throw thrown off, you know, 
defeating emperors and the shogun would would take over and become the emperor. So let's just not have <laughs> this is a joke. Yeah, no, I mean generally in countries we don't uh, we don't want to empower our people and I don't know what strictures are like as far as the Japanese self defense force uh, uh, are concerned. I don't know what got us off on that tangent. Brings us to the fifth and the final form of Godzilla John. Yes, and also the fifth and penultimate form of this podcast. Right. Um, which I only learned because it's it's literally the ending shot of the film. Uh, yes, after it is described that uh, – and this, is, I think, is something really interesting that Godzilla is frozen in the middle of Tokyo. And should he ever reawaken, uh, there are 3,500 seconds before a nuclear weapon is dropped. Obviously, people have to live with Godzilla – I think pretty obviously an allegory that people have to live with nuclear power. They have to live with reminders of disasters they've created, et cetera. And then the haunting final shot of the film. Yes. We we pan over the body of Godzilla climbing up its tail. And at the very tip where that vestigial mouth was, there are now beings, humanoid beings climbing out of an opening frozen by the coagulate solution, but still there frozen in time, the fifth and final form of Godzilla, man. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I I don't think you're totally wrong in, in that reading of what that's supposed to be. A lot of people seem pretty confused about it, uh, but I, I do think, I don't know, these, these creatures don't have totally humanoid features. Uh, they got but, big gaping Godzilla mouths. Yes, they do have big gaping Godzilla mouths. But I do think uh, you could reasonably say that uh, that's like the, our last indicator that we stopped something that I think that what this movie reiterates over and over again is that the longer Godzilla is allowed to exist, it will visit unimaginable horrors on humanity. And I think that's just the next in a long line of unimaginable horrors. Yeah. It would replace humanity with Godzilla manity. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like the Cloverfield thing. You've got this big monster that you know the the military is fighting off, and of course, average everyday people are being swept up in the crossfire. But what's scarier to the average person? A person-sized threat that it threatens to overwhelm and replace. Like it, it's hitting a different note on the horror scale uh, because now it's in your home. And it's firing nuclear breath at you with its chomping teeth and stuff. And it's like, well, I guess we're done as a species. We can't fire atomic breath back. Hopefully they, they're weak enough that, you know, bullets will do something. But this is Japan. I don't have a gun. And then maybe the argument could be made that if you were to extrapolate out what this Godzilla could do, uh, maybe those things would eventually turn into people. Yeah. Like maybe this is a cycle we've been living over and over again. Who's to say? And, and this kind of gets taps into the, the Shin of Shin Godzilla uh, because they made an interesting choice when they titled the film. Uh, Shin uh, traditionally uh, could mean a number of things. Uh, if you use the kanji form of Shin, it just means new. But they didn't do that. They didn't use the kanji character for Shin. They spelled it out phonetically. So now it has extra connotations 
that being new, true, and God. Oh, God, Godzilla. Yep. Uh, so you see this final, this final little bit of, of the film where this evolutionary form of Godzilla is creating life like a god. I mean, if we are to know anything about Hideaki Anno, a big fan of, uh, of gods in fiction in general, but particularly uh, Judeo-Christian mythology, uh, so I don't know, maybe this Godzilla is God and is creating man all over again. Maybe so. Yeah, this is this is the man who def- <laughs> defined the rapture as a mech anime. <laughs> yeah, it's a sexy yeah. mech anime where everyone. Well, depending on which ending you yeah. watch. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Don't worry about what I just said. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you could read the Judeo-Christian sort of tones into it. But I, I think that this is like an elder god, like this kind of tapping into an eldritch horror thing without even without the madness and, and all that that comes with it. This is a thing from the deep creating its own version of humanity. Yeah, replacing humanity potentially. I like the read of this Godzilla as I, I wish we had other words to describe this as eldritch. Uh, than Eldritch, rather. Uh, but I like the idea of this Godzilla being described as this like unknowable evil thing, not necessarily uh, holding malice towards humanity, but having uh, goals that we cannot hope to understand. Right. And that's Man. all the forms of Godzilla. And that's all the forms of Godzilla, and maybe, maybe all the forms of this podcast... I was thinking that a lot more of this would be spent talking about the ways in which this differs from the movies we've spent the last eight or nine weeks talking about. But I think we maybe did a a pretty good job of that, other than to say that this is the best circumstance to rewatch Shin Godzilla, which is after watching four films, three films, we're only talking about the Godzilla ones, which charitably uh, have no moral or political stance whatsoever. <laughs> A brief, a brief note about climate change, maybe, but then really it's kind of an afterthought and let's just move on. Yeah, I mean, it's, as we've discussed, a disservice to the Godzilla franchise, which you'd be hard-pressed to not find any Godzilla movie that doesn't have some kind of political under or overtone about the current state of Japan or the world. Uh, so for these American Godzilla movies uh, to have no strong opinions whatsoever... Uh, very refreshing to watch Shin Godzilla, which has almost no subtext about what it's telling you. <laughs> it is telling you that yeah. older bureaucratic hierarchical systems are bad. Younger, flatter organizations are good. Be proud of Japan. We've come a long way and we've got a lot more to do. Totally agree. There's also another reason to discuss Shin Godzilla in the, in the context of the legendary Godzilla films, John. Oh, Shin Godzilla came out in 2016 to much critical acclaim, was a hit at the box office and poised, primed for a sequel that never came. Mm -hmm. And you know why it never came? I truly have no idea. Uh, Well, in 2000, I think 18 or in between 2016 and 2018, Toho Studios made a deal 
with Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers Studios to make Godzilla films in America. Uh huh. A part of that deal was that Toho Studios could not make a live action Godzilla film during the length of the contract. Are you fucking kidding me? Thereby canceling the planned Shin Godzilla sequel until after 2020. Are you fucking kidding me? Yes. I, I mean, I'm not kidding you. This this is actually is, true. Considering we just watched a movie about how American superpowers can bully Japan into not being the greatest nation it can be, this is disgusting. This is ultra disgusting. This, this is, is shin dumb. disgusting. This is stupid. So now that the contract is up, there were discussions, hey, are we going to finally do the sequel to Shin Godzilla? Um, but the studio has decided, no, we're going to create sort of a monster verse of our own, which is leading to the Shin Ultraman and the Shin Kamen Rider uh, movies that we're going to make. They're going to be set in the same universe, but they're not going to feature Godzilla. I will be totally frank with you. I could not be more pumped about a Shin Kamen Rider and by extension a Shin Ultraman considering what Hideaki Anno did to Godzilla and how much I enjoyed this movie. I could not be more pumped. That's I think that's much more interesting than a Shin Godzilla 2. Yeah, I feel like Shin Godzilla 2 if it got like if, if the sequel were to be made, I don't know where you go. The the obvious answer is you introduce another monster and maybe you you explore this new Godzilla as a savior, but I don't think this Godzilla can be a savior. It is a mindless or malice, vengeful kind of creature. I, I don't want to see it redeemed. I want to see it as a statue because it, it represents humanity's coming together and and finding a solution that doesn't resolve wholly on violence. And like it, and reinforcing all of the themes in the first movie. So if you have a second movie where then Godzilla's our only hope, I feel like you're then deconstructing all the work you did. Yeah, I feel like you can't turn the Godzilla of Shin Godzilla into a savior. Which, by the way, that's a point that I hadn't uh, that I hadn't thought about. It's incredible that this movie hinges on a non-violent solution to Godzilla. Yeah. So interesting. What what an interesting choice. I, I really appreciate that. But I agree with you. I, I can't really see a Shin Godzilla 2. The difficulty, of course, with the original Godzilla film is that it was a, a horrifying movie about the horrors of war, particularly nuclear weapons. Uh, but then, uh, for the sake of success, and honestly, you can only make so many horrifying movies about a lizard, they had to put <laughs> other lizards in there for him to fight. Right. So maybe additional Shin Godzilla movies uh, would undercut the things we enjoyed about the movie we would, we just watched. And to that end, we then have to thank Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers Studios for putting that clause in their in the deal to make their monster verse because without it we would have gotten shin godzilla 2 i really was not anticipating thanking them for keeping shin godzilla 2 from us but i think you're right i think this is the only case in which i'm going to thank the existence of the legendary monster verse contract array for those of you who are confused by emotional whiplash welcome to zero credits <laughs> welcome uh enjoy 
your stay. Now, after this conversation, I think there's really only one thing left for us to do. Right. It is time for the final ranking of the Legendary Pictures Godzilla verse Monster verse and including Shin Godzilla for some reason. Yes, absolutely. From um, worst to best. From worst to best. Uh this is Ooh, I don't actually remember. Hold on, this list is called John's Godzilla list. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I don't, I don't remember my order. I haven't been writing it down. I've been I, a bad co-host. I don't remember my worst, but I'm going to go off the top of my head, and I actually might. Okay. I think my order is as follows. Here we go. Drum rolls, please. At number five, we have Godzilla King of the Monsters. Really? Okay. Uh, I think Godzilla King of the Monsters undercuts severely... A lot of the hold on, no, it's Godzilla versus Kong. That movie's real dog okay, shit. Okay, that, that sounds that, all right. Now we're on track again. No, I had to remember that movie. <laughs> that movie is actually pretty awful. Uh, is, yeah. re, is real dog shit. Um, tied worst place <laughs> with Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is a better movie, but actually walks back and does serious damage to uh, yeah. the moral underpinnings of Godzilla as it exists in the legendary monster verse. Fuck that movie and fuck Godzilla versus Kong. Wow. Right. Six, 66% of the Godzilla movies. I rank as the worst. Yep. Um, followed then of course by the other one. Uh, Godzilla is yeah. coming in at number three. Uh, that movie's fine. I could certainly think of worse adaptations and reboots of Godzilla. And in fact, they've made them. Uh, and then I'm going to say Kong Skull Island. It's number a, two. It's a fun movie at number two. I really enjoy it. However, it has officially been dethroned. I think everyone saw this coming by Shin Godzilla. You know me. You know me as a person. I'm a pretentious man who loves Neon Genesis Evangelion. And I've talked about how much I love Shin Godzilla for like three years. Uh, I think this movie rules. I think it's really interesting. I think it has a lot of very pertinent things to say, not just for citizens of Japan, but for citizens of the world. Uh, I think it's gorgeous. I love the music. There's very little I dislike about this movie. Shin Godzilla is the king of the monsters of Hot Godzilla Summer. Oh, God, you're a BuzzFeed article. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, all right. I liked it. I like your list. It's very good. It's very, very good and quaint and wholesome. You know, you've got your reasons, and I've got mine. And here is mine. This is Henry's Hot Godzilla Summer Final List Number the Worst. I don't know how many there are. Is there five? Can we make, like, a Final Wars joke? Like a Godzilla uh, Final Wars joke? We could, if final, I've ever seen it. Godzilla Final List. Okay, sure. Number the worst. Num- I don't, how can I forget how many there are? It's five movies, ten weeks. Five movies, ten weeks, hot Godzilla not, summer. Really not hard to understand. Number five is uh, Kong versus Godzilla or whatever the fuck that movie's called because... Oh, God. It is bad. <laughs> Nothing is good. The only good thing is one monster fight. And that's the Hong Kong fight. And even that is broken up by just so much bad things surrounding it. I really wish this movie, this last movie that America got its dirty little hands on, 
could have been better, but it was, it's just the worst. It's so bad. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm in agreement. Yeah. Number four, as much as I wanted to like it is, is Godzilla King of the Monsters. I, I really liked it on the first pass. I, I love Rodan and I love seeing uh, Monster Zero and, and Mothra, but they're just, everyone's underutilized and there's so much human stuff. I just, just give me a video adaptation of destroy all monsters melee for the GameCube. That's all I want. Hey, before we forget, King Ghidorah is very good in that movie. He is very good. I'll give him props. Uh, number three would be the 2014 titular Godzilla starring uh, male Anya Taylor joy and Owen Owen Wilson. <laughs> yeah, Owen Wilson. He's in a lot of stuff these days. <laughs> oh, I didn't even talk about how this movie is perfect to watch now because of Loki and Loki's got the whole bureaucracy. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It, there's a good tie in there, but we, we try to keep these timeless. Um, <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Olsen? What's her yeah, name? Elizabeth Olsen. Okay. Brian yeah. Cranston, Juliet Binoche. Right. It, it, it's it's okay. It's got its stuff. It, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's probably the best American adaptation of a Godzilla movie, but that's not saying much. Obviously not. Uh, and I, this is interesting. I really enjoyed Shin Godzilla. I did. Will I ever rewatch it? Probably not. Really? Number two, I think, is Shin Godzilla. Wow. And and I, this is my huge bias. I, I'm American. As much as I enjoy a look at another country and their their values and their what they hold dear, um, it doesn't gel as much as the theme, the anti-war themes, and the dangers of of the Vietnam war, those themes gel with gelled with me in Kong skull Island. I I think Kong skull Island is the best of these films because I'm more familiar with the themes that it's talking about. And again, this is coming absolutely from a place of bias and and a little bit of maybe nationalism. I, I need to expand my worldview but that's my reasoning. Please te- tear me apart. <laughs> I I shan't tear you apart. Everyone is entitled to, the, to their opinion. I do think that you're thoroughly wrong, and that K- yeah. Kong Skull Island is a uh, is a fun movie. I think morally, it, it's not <laughs> it's not perfect. Uh, it is the strongest of the legendary MonsterVerse movies. I obviously big fan of Shin Godzilla. But uh, I can't blame you for liking Kong Skull Island because honestly, with Jordan Vote Roberts at the helm, it's basically an anime. And then if you, the intersection of Shin Godzilla and an anime is Neon Genesis Evangelion, which I like quite a bit. Uh, so I can't blame you. Well, thank you for for understanding my opinion. I just want to re at this point reinforce. You're very very wrong, though. Just I to be, re- I just, just want to reinforce. That Kong Skull Island is is an anti-Vietnam War movie. It is not a monster movie. <laughs> yeah, it is it is an anti it's generally an anti-war movie with a giant ape in it. Yeah. On those grounds, it, it, it has the most to say out of all of the legendary monster movies. 
And I think it kind of went over the executives' heads. Like I don't. I think if they found out that it was an anti-war movie, they would. <laughs> they wouldn't have let it happen. Yeah, and then there's, I think, maybe a negative to say about Shin Godzilla, where Shinzo Abe was like, I think that the Godzilla franchise shows the power of the Japanese self-defense force. And I'm like, did you watch the same? Have you seen the same Godzilla movies we've all seen, Shinzo Abe? Oh, yikes. Wait, thought the series as a whole shows the strength? (laughs) I I think he was just responding to an interviewer asking him about Shin Godzilla because it's a pretty nationalistic movie. But, like, none of these movies make the JSDF look great. They're usually ineffectual. Yeah, I mean, America was the only one who dropped anything on Godzilla that made him give a shit. Um, Their most effectual thing they did was the nonviolent plan. So, like, good good. for with good for following orders, I and guess. also Shinzo Abe is like dropped the ball on all that stuff. Okay, well, I don't, yeah. I don't know anything I about a, Japanese pro- Shinzo Abe, politics. whatever. Uh, Kong Skull Island, not the best movie in my opinion. You're wrong, but I get it. Yeah, that's fine. You know, two different lists. I didn't want our list to be exactly the same either because they almost were. Yeah, I mean, I'll 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 reveal my cards here a little bit. Having you watch Shin Godzilla for the first time, I was anticipating. It would blow you away or you would hate it, and it would end up on either side of your list. So for it to be in number two, I think that that's a, well, that's a place I can be satisfied with. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's way better made than definitely two of the others. <laughs> yes. Just the, the amount of thought that goes into it, like a thousand more percent thought went into Shin Godzilla than probably all of the legendary monster f- films. Uh I, it's like it's like watching a it's it's watching a college essay in motion. I don't think you're wrong, especially Godzilla versus Kong. It's like a it's like yeah. an 11 year old wrote that movie. Yeah, the, yeah, a chill a, ch- a children put that together. One children, one children. But those are our lists. Those we have finally disagreed. Yeah, finally we have, and now we roll past the 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 that hot hot atomic breath heat of hot Godzilla summer into the autumn of whatever we're going to do next. It's June. (laughs) It's June. We are still very much in the summer, though hot Godzilla summer has ended. However, that does not mean that you have fewer things to look forward to from zero credits. I know you weep. You weep and you gnash your teeth at the death of hot Godzilla summer, but there's more to come. Most recently... And I'm sure everyone who is a longtime listener of the podcast will be a fan of this. The newest installment of the Fast and Furious franchise, F9, the Fast Saga, uh, right. is coming out at the end of this month. Expect our supplemental reading uh, post-haste. I believe we're seeing it on the day or the day after it comes out. So we should have something ready for you pretty soon. Yes, we're seeing it on the 24th. or It comes out on the 25th. We're seeing it on the 24th because that's how movies work. Yes, we are watching it ASAP. Yeah, we're seeing it literally as soon as we can. And we'll have very sparse or like very bejumbled notes because we're seeing it in a theater and we can't take notes in the theater. Oh, that's why they have those order cards, Henry. I'm going to take so many notes. Uh, So we are seeing... F9 Fast Saga supplemental reading following. Uh, You have your supplemental readings of Spy Racers eventually. Oh, my God. 
And in addition to that, your regularly scheduled zero credits programming. However, our energies will no longer be dedicated solely to our fetusoid dogs or the Godzilla franchise. So you will have our undivided attention. That makes it sound like we got rid of our dogs. Our dogs have no. just chilled out a little bit, or at least we've gotten used to how shitty they are. They've doubled in size and they've gotten stronger and Delhi punched me in the neck today. <laughs> uh, Leo does nothing but fart and scream, uh, but I'm uh, used to it now, so I can redouble my efforts on the podcast, so that content will be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, going forward, if, if you've listened to the inter, the interim episodes of this Hot Godzilla Summer, you might have noticed we really bring it in the supplemental readings, and we've been laissez-faire with the podcast, but we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to have focused content each week. I promise you now, people who won't tune in. And in addition, in the latter half of this year, there will be additional supplemental readings yet to be revealed. Uh, much to discuss, much to think about uh, in the zeitgeist. Supplemental readings will return in Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, we are actually home? not doing a supplemental reading of any Spider-Man oh. movies, uh, nor nor Marvel movies. Let's, there, let's well, get really into the Venomverse. I'm going <laughs> to get so into the Venomverse. Let's get really into Tom Hardy's Venom. We do need to do more supplemental readings. We I owe do like people it. from yeah. 2020. It was, a, it was a sparse year. And uh, people really like our deep dives on singular topics that they can experience, and then they don't have to listen to us drivel about nothing. And we've got things to say about the things we're going to say in future podcast episodes. It uses my college degree in a way that I don't get to use on a daily basis. I just like it because I don't have to think for myself. I just let the idiot tube show me pictures of Godzilla, then I talk about it. Coming this fall, John's Idiot Tube. Anyway, if you want to get in contact with <laughs> us, that, that, that can't be. That cannot. What do you be. want? What do you want from me? <laughs> that cannot be the way we segue into the supplement. What do you want from me? We it can... sounded like you said anyway with no follow up. <laughs> you, you want me to pull a segue out of the air, John? I was trying. Listen, we can't end Hot Godzilla Summer on on a on a whimper. We can't okay. go out that well, way. Luckily for you, this has all been a little bit, and we've scripted this little bit to introduce our hit new song. Take it away, John. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's Godzilla. It's been a summer. A Godzilla summer. <laughs> Some might say. <laughs> My favorite part of every song is the part that some might say. <laughs> some might say it's might be that Godzilla's here. Now it's listen to me. The end. It's the end of Godzilla as we know it. It's the end of Godzilla as we know it. And I feel fine. Take it away. John. I just want to say, this Godzilla summer has been hot. No, that's that sucked. That's sucked. <laughs> that sucked. Man, we're in you an call existential yourself a writer? crisis. What the fuck? We're 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 in an existential crisis. Henry, let me tell you, this yeah. hot Godzilla has been summer. All right, that's much better. Is it? You you've now you filled me with 
the fear the uh, of of the showman that I'm not like he said we can't let this 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 event that we've been doing for the past ten weeks just end like this. But we had nothing planned. Why don't we plan anything, John? I don't know. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> oh, if you want to write into the show and tell us your thoughts about the abysmal ending that we gave apparently what was supposed to be our favorite monster series ever. I don't think we really care about it because we didn't do anything to end it. You can send us a tweet on twitter.com too. At ZCPCWHJ, which John knows what stands for. That stands for we're not super excited about because we didn't watch the best Godzilla movie, which is, of course, Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah, giant monsters, all-out attack. That's right. And if you want to send us a longer uh, essay about your thoughts and feelings about either John or I's list, please send an email to email at zerocredits.net and we will start a rigorous book club about Godzillas and Godzilla problems that come up in the neighborhood. When there's something bad in the neighborhood. Is it? Is that a song? Is that going to be the song that we're going to sing? He's not responding, so that's a No. Uh, We are on, what else are we on? Spotify. You can find us in the podcast section of Spotify if such place exists and uh, get the latest episodes guaranteed now that we've fixed all of our issues. We're also on Google Podcasts, which scrapes us just fine these days. And of course, we're on Apple Podcasts where you can leave a rating and a review. And please do that. We need to rise up in the charts. Otherwise, we'll die. We're going to die. Uh, But the best thing you can do is tell a friend to listen to the podcast. Tell them, direct them to a supplemental reading of a movie they've watched so they have an entry point into the weird, bizarre minds of Henry and John because word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. And just to bring it back to presenter energy, lots of stuff to be excited for. Fast and Furious, Summer of Fast and Furious, (laughs) is over that happened before but we will be watching yeah fast and the furious we watched f8 recently to prepare ourselves for this also apparently the cast of fast and the furious is saying that there's probably going to be like an all-female fast and furious offshoot thing which uh, give us that no more Hobbs and Shaw. Say it with me. No more Hobbs and Shaw. No more Hobbs and Shaw. I'd watch it. Hobbs and Shaw? No, the the, the all-woman cast of uh, Fast and Furious. Oh, yeah, just don't get Gina Carano in there. I hear that she's an anti-Semitic crank. And <laughs> from everyone here at the Zero Credits Godzilla, we would like to wish you a happy week. We own a Godzilla? <laughs> oh, we do now. That was, that was why we did this. Was so that we, the big... Oh, we forgot to do the big reveal where we now have a Godzilla. Damn it. Yeah, we've got a... It's a pretty good Godzilla. Uh, that, you know. was, that was the finale. Oh, it slipped my mind. Oh, well. Yeah, you'll never hear more about it now. Anyway, I have to go feed it 5,000 pigs. Well, have fun with that and goodbye. Goodbye. Rawr, rawr, rawr.
I can't. No, no human can do the Godzilla roar. What am I trying to do? <laughs> <laughs>